Friends, how are you? If we have never met, my name is Thomas. Uh, Tom is out on the Erie campus. That's where I normally serve. And I get to be on staff at this awesome church. If you are new to Calvary, I'm telling you, you are sitting next to some of the most wonderful people I know. And you are so blessed to be on the Boulder campus, the leadership here with Tom and John, the way that Eric leads worship and Perry leads our, our community life with Steph and her leadership. It is such a blessing to be a part of a church in three locations, specifically here in Boulder. And in Boulder, there is a sense that we really need to be just reminded of what we believe. And we've been doing the same series out in Erie, What We Believe. Perry kicked it off last week here about what we believe about the Bible, the scriptures, as the very words of God. And today, we're going to start kind of a three-part section on what we believe about God, God being Father, Son, and Spirit. And I want to start by asking this question to you. Where do you go when you are in need of help? And that might be dependent on, like, your age. Like, when you were a kid, you would probably go to your parents. Yeah. And then when you're in middle school, your parents become the stupidest people in the world. And I don't know how that happens. And you begin to go to who when you're in need of help? Friends, right? And they betray you, and it's terrible. You have all these sad stories. You have to later un unwind as an adult with a what? A therapist. That's right. And, and what happens is in our life, we need help. And when we're kids, we go to our parents or family. When we're, when we're students, we go to our friends. When we're older, we start going to licensed professionals. And maybe it's your therapist, maybe it's a counselor, a life coach, or a pastor. But really, it's always, it's always a person. And then the saddest place to be is, is when all those people that in your life have hurt you, and you no longer go to people, you just go to yourself. Like you're the only person you can trust. But you still always find a person. And so the question of where do you go for help is really better framed, to whom do you go when you're in need of help? And oftentimes God is not the answer because we do not view him as a person. Especially when it comes to the spirit. When it comes to the spirit, Barna surveyed Christians in the United States asking them about the, their belief of, of the Holy Spirit. What do they believe about the Holy Spirit? And the majority of Christians surveyed by Barna a few years ago do not believe the Holy Spirit to be a person. That would be detrimental to your faith. For the Christian faith is a spiritual faith empowered by the Spirit. When, when they were asked what do they believe about the Holy Spirit, they believed it might be a force, or really, the majority of people said it's, it's probably a symbol of God. The problem with that is the Spirit is given to us as our helper to become like Christ, to live the Christian faith. You're not supposed to do it under your own power or strength. In fact, if you're trying to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ under your own power and strength, you will fail. And so we have to recognize that the Holy Spirit is not a symbol, it's not a force, I don't know how to connect to that, I wouldn't go to that in my time of help. It's a person. It's the third person of the Godhead, as God has revealed himself to be Father, Son, and Spirit. And we kind of get Father, like we've all had fathers, get it? We get Jesus a bit because he's a historical figure, 
The word of God from the beginning that was with God and was God dwelt amongst us and we have beheld him. We've seen him. He's lived in front of us. I've heard not eyewitnesses, but the spirit, I don't get it. So today I just want to take a little bit of time to, to build a frame. There's so much to say about the spirit, but just build a frame for us as Christians of how we live in step with the Holy Spirit. So I want to open up our Bibles to John chapter 16. John 16 is a great place to begin because Jesus begins with his disciples here in a time of need. The disciples are in a time in which they are afraid, they are grieving, and they're confused. You ever been in a place like that? Oftentimes those things go together, grief and sorrow with anger with fear and confusion. And they're trying to look to Jesus, a person they've walked with for three years now. And Jesus is telling them, I am going to the Father. That first song we sang today, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He has just described himself as this in John 14. He says, now I go to be with the Father. And they're asking, where are you going? Can we go with you? And Jesus says, no, you cannot come with me yet. In John chapter 16, this news of what Jesus Christ is up to, and how he's going to depart, fills them with this fear and grief and sorrow and confusion. And they don't know, who do we go to now? Because in our time of need, we always go to a person. Chapter 16, verse 6. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. I think sorrow would probably fill our heart if Jesus was with us. And then he said he's going to depart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I, I do not go away. The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send not it, him, a person to you. So here's Jesus with his disciples in a geographical location at a place in time. And he says, I'm departing. You can't go with me and be with me yet but it's to your advantage. Like I have something, really someone that's better. It's advantageous that I depart so another person of the Godhead can come be with you. The helper, that's how he's described. That's his characteristic, to help you. The Holy Spirit is to help you, be an advocate for you. Verse eight, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of these three things. Sin, what is righteousness, and, and the judgments of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's, oftentimes we think that's our work, like we're going to nag somebody to the cross. It never works that way. It is a role reserved for the person, Holy Spirit, to convict the world. It means, it means that they would have a, a conviction of heart to believe in something, to understand something, about their sin, about what is righteousness, and about God's judgment. Verse 11. Or sorry, verse concerning sin because the world does not believe in me. Verse 10, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So he expands on what he's going to do. It's sin because they've rejected Jesus. It's righteousness because Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and that's where he rules from. And third, because this world is judged. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
when the spirit of truth comes, another description of who he is, he's the one that always tells the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, when we read these passages today, always pay attention to the Godhead. So here you have Jesus, the Son. I'm going to be with the Father. The Father has given me glory, and I share that with, this, with you. The Spirit's going to bring glory to me, which means bring people to the cross. And so you have right here an operation, Father, Son, and Spirit, to the helps of the believer. So it's to your advantage that I go, because another person of the Godhead is going to come, and he's going to be in you, Jesus says. And this beginning work that Jesus unpacks is they're going to do three things. Convict the world of sin, its righteousness, and judgment. And then he tells his disciples later on, this is after the resurrection, after he's been around for 40 plus days, to hang out in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit, the promised one, is poured out on them. This is Acts chapter 1. Go over to Acts. Chapter 1, verse 4, here's Jesus hanging out with his disciples after the resurrection, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. That's reference back to what he taught in John 16. For John baptized, the word baptized is to be united, immersed in, identified with. How will you be united, immersed, identified with Jesus, it's going to be through the work of the Spirit. John baptized with water, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So in just a couple of days, you hang out here, and I will pour out the Spirit on you. And you'll be baptized, immersed, united, identified with me. Here's Jesus' teaching. You're called to be my witnesses. Don't go do that on your own strength. You're called to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth to model discipleship, to call people to be disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Don't do that without the Holy Spirit. Wait for him. And so they wait. And in Acts chapter 2, there's this amazing scene in which the wind, right, this animating sound comes into the room, and you can see like tongues of fire, the presence of God himself with each of the believers. And the crowds are confused what's happening, and Peter gets up to teach. He says, okay, now, these people are not drunk on wine. It's too early in the day for that. But what was promised in the prophets, he references Joel. You could reference Ezekiel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. I will take out of you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. A new heart will dwell inside you. You'll be moved to want to follow my commandments. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people, men and women, young and old, who belong to me. That's what's happening. Check this out. This is Acts chapter 2. Peter starts talking about the very three things that the spirit of God will do. Remember, convict the world of its sin, its righteousness, and judgment. Look at chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man 
attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified, you, you rejected, and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's the first movement. Is Peter filled with the Spirit talking about the conviction to the world of their rejection of Jesus? That's the very first conviction. And then look down in verse 32. The next movement is the conviction of righteousness that he has gone to be with the Father. This Jesus God raised up and that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. That's the second conviction of righteousness, that Jesus Christ is the righteous one at the right hand of the Father. Then what's the third thing the Holy Spirit was going to do? Is convict the world concerning its God's judgment of it. Look all the way down in verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So Jesus promises, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be my witnesses. And it's the role of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to the world of its sin concerning their rejection of Jesus, righteousness concerning Jesus being the righteous one, right hand of the Father, and the judgment of the world. And the first thing that Peter's doing, filled with the Holy Spirit, is bringing about that conviction. And the people listening are responding to the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, and they say, what do we do? What do we do? We sense that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the righteous one. And there's judgment in this world. And what does Peter say? We'll go back up to verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do you do? Repent and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How does someone get the Spirit? If the Spirit is absolutely essential to being a Christian. I mean, I would tell you this. If you do not have the Spirit, you are not a Christian. How do you get the Spirit? It's really simple right here. Is that you believe in the Son of God, and you receive the Spirit of God. You repent and receive the forgiveness of sins from Jesus Christ, and then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the person of God to dwell in us. That's simply how it works, is all those who receive Jesus Christ as the Son of God receive the Holy Spirit in their life to follow God. He's the one that takes up residence and animates us because he is not just a force or a symbol, but a person. And if you think I'm just making this stuff up, like Peter goes to great lengths to describe the personhood of the Spirit so that you would know that the very God of gods dwells in you in the earliest teachings of the, of the church. So flip over just a couple chapters to Acts chapter 5, we find ourselves in quite the predicament that there are, there's this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and there are all these people that are, are selling goods and they're selling properties and they're giving money to the, this movement to care for widows and orphans and those who are in need. And Ananias and Sapphira have this plot. They say, okay, we have, 
we have this plot of land, and we're going to sell it. And they sell it, and they must make a lot of money. And they decide, okay, well, that was a lot of money. We shouldn't give all that to the church. Let's hold some back, which is their right to do. That's not actually a problem. But what they do is they lie about it. And they tell the church this was the whole sum. And this is what Peter says. This is Acts chapter 5. Oops. One more page back. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourselves part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to who? God. You see the the connection there? Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Who is God? That, that's the offense, is that you lied to God himself, who is the Holy Spirit. And so what we see is, operationally, God is three in one. And the Spirit, this is how I would describe it in a very simple way, is the personal presence of a powerful God. In your life, the Holy Spirit is the personal presence of the powerful God in your life. And when we think about our salvation, oftentimes we just get so focused on on Jesus, and we have to see it's really the Godhead at work, Father, Son, and Spirit. This is how Titus describes it in our salvation. I I love this picture. It's Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 4. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, I love this. When he describes your salvation, it starts with his goodness. Like the Father is good, and he's kind. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is, this is the work of, of God here. The goodness and kindness of God to give us his son Jesus Christ as a sacrifice so that we would be saved not based on our own merits but by his works. And then through his works he would bestow on us the Holy Spirit, which would do two things. Save you and sanctify you. Now, we probably get the save part. The sanctified piece means to transform, to change us, to mold us, to shape us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, we think of Jesus as like a Kickstarter campaign. Like, Jesus got it going, you finished it off. That's not how it is. That our salvation is all-encompassing of the Father. He's the initiator of salvation. Jesus Christ accomplishes salvation. And here's the Holy Spirit who brings us into salvation and changes us, transforms us, not by our own strength, but by his, into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So here we see the work of the Holy Spirit for regeneration and transformation, for salvation and for our sanctification. You see now, it is absolutely essential to understand who, not what, but who is the Holy Spirit. 
God. God in us. It's an amazing thing that will transform your life. You feel powerless today? Where is it that you experience your need for help? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your finances? Is it in your singleness? Is it in relationships in your family? Where you feel that grief and sorrow, confusion, anger, and you're wondering, who do I go to? The answer is to God. The Holy Spirit who has taken up residence inside of you. Here's just a smattering of some of the teachings of what the Holy Spirit has done for us. Here's Ephesians chapter 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so when did you get the Holy Spirit? When you believed in Christ, you received the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What is the guarantee that you who believe in Christ will be saved forever in Christ? It is the Holy Spirit himself who seals you as a guarantee that you're going to make it. That you will make it to Christ. Here's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Like the Holy Spirit, God himself, had been worshipped in temples in Jerusalem, was worshipped in a tabernacle in the days of Moses and David. Where does God himself take up residence? Where is his temple? It's in his children. I mean, what? What happens inside temples? Is worship. Let me ask you, how, how is it, how's the worship going in your life? Like many of us have, will spend more time and attention and care for our own homes that we live in than the residence, the home of the Holy Spirit. How's the worship of your hands going? How's the worship of your feet? Where do you take the temple? How's the worship of your eyes? What, what have you been looking at and watching? What has the temple been gazing at? How about the mind? What have you been meditating on? See, it's worship that happens in the temple. God has taken up residence in us, and, and we are now to be worshipers in all aspects and faculties of our life. Not only does he seal us, not only does he dwell in us, but then he gifts us. This is about the goodness and kindness of God. He gives us. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but in the same God who empowers them all. Again, Spirit, Lord, Jesus, and God. Empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he goes and lists all these gifts. You've been given the gifts that are from the Spirit to be served in the common good. Isn't that great? He equips you for the work of the service. He gifts you uniquely. See, many people think, okay, super Christians have the Spirit. No, everyone, you see that? Everyone gets the Spirit. It belongs to him. This is Romans chapter 8. 
many, many sections in Romans 8 are very important. But let me highlight just a few. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, has sealed you, you're the temple. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Yeah, I didn't make that up. Paul tells you, the Christian life is a Spirit-filled life. This is not an endeavor in which you seek God on your own strength. You're not doing this in the flesh, but in the Spirit. He's the one at work in you to bring about His good pleasure. If you do not have the Spirit, you do not belong to Him. Look at verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, your own strength, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, are daughters of God, are children of God, belong to the family of God. It's the work of the Spirit to do that. He, he guides you. Do you see that? You're led by the Spirit. He's the one that Jesus promised will remind you of all the things that I taught. He'll bring to remembrance and he'll guide you. And this happens for me a hundred times a day in which I'm just living my life and then somebody cuts me off. And I just want to get so frustrated. And I hear this, this voice. It's like in me. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. But the anger of a man does not bring about the righteousness of God. That happens in my own marriage. I'm like, oh my gosh, when is she going to stop talking so I can just remind her of how right I am? And there's the Spirit. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. He's guiding me. Like in my resources, all of these gifts, everything is from above. Be generous as your heavenly Father's generous. In my purity of my eyes, in my mind, close that screen. Shut that down. That's not for the temple. Just being reminded. I'm being led by the Spirit. Being guided in my life regularly. And I love this. There are times when, if it's happened to you, you just get to a place where you're like, I, I give up. I give up. I don't even know what I would pray for. Like, this is such a mess. I don't know how to get out of this. And look at what Paul says about the work of the Spirit in your life. This is Romans 8, 28. Sorry, 26. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us. Remember, he's the helper. Helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Whenever I read that verse, I just think of my kids at 2 o'clock in the morning. Like the only people that have unlimited access to my life at 2 o'clock in the morning are my children. Everyone else, there's going to be a problem, right? But at 2 o'clock in the morning, my kids can just walk in the room groaning of unlimited access to me. And their groans, I wake up and I respond to, I care for them. And here is God himself who dwells in you when all you have is groanings. And he shows up, he intercedes, speaking to the Father on your behalf for your good. Love the word. Now do you see, from the scripture, this is where it is written, that all belong, those who belong to Jesus Christ 
are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is the Spirit-filled life. They are not separate. Now, you might be thinking, oh, man, this is where it, just, where it gets super charismatic. This is where it gets all weird. And so here's a quote from John Stott. Okay, this is an Anglican Englishman. Okay, so not charismatic. It, is, it would be impossible to be a Christian, let alone to live and grow as a Christian without the ministry of the gracious Spirit of God. It is impossible to become like Christ on your own strength. But the work of the Spirit in us for our good, for our transformation. It's impossible to live the Christian life if you're not filled with the Spirit. How do you get the Spirit? You believe in the Son of God. You receive the Spirit of God. This is what we would say at Calvary. This is in our statement of faith. Terry referenced what we believe about the Bible last week. This is what we would say we believe about the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit, in all that he does, glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt, sin, righteousness, and judgment. He regenerates sinners. And in him, they are baptized, united, identified into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips the gifts, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. It's a pretty good synopsis. Is it not, what we just looked at? This is what we believe about the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the question. How does that work in your life? Like operationally. It works through surrender. You're in partnership. It's not like these things are just going to happen to you. It happens in a posture of surrender. You might even say that it happens that you would concede to it. And the model that I would go back to time and again is this incredible, Incredible woman in the Bible is the mother of Jesus. This is in, in Luke chapter 1 where Mary hears that she's going to be pregnant with the Messiah. And she has a question, as you might have a question. How can this be from a virgin, she said. The messenger tells her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, he will be called Holy, the Son of God. And her response, you remember what her response is? The servant of the Lord. Let it be done according to you. That's it. This, this, is, this is her surrender. That she allows this to happen to her in partnership. How This is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. The Holy Spirit will come into your life and cause the impossible to happen. And so what is, remember where we began? I was asking, where do you go in your need for help? Perhaps in the scriptures today you realize it's, it's the Holy Spirit. He was gifted to you as your helper to guide you, remind you, teach you, 
comfort you. To help you get understanding. He's going to counsel you. And so what is the thing in your life right now that you really need help with? And then I want to teach you this prayer. This is, this is a prayer that's mild after Mary. That you can see. I consent for the work of God in my life. And so every morning we wake up, we're filled with the Spirit, and we just simply say these words. We, we concede to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life today to form in me the death and resurrection of my Lord Jesus Christ. Would you, would you pray with that with me as we conclude today? This would be it. Like, whatever the next problem is, whatever the next circumstance is, if it's grief, if it's sorrow, if it's confusion, if it's anger, you pause and you just open your hands. And you say, Heavenly Father, I consent to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life today, in my marriage, in my singleness, in my finances, in my grief, in my sorrows, in my sexuality. I can see, I just consent to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life today to form in me the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Let's pray that. Perhaps you want to stand, maybe you want to kneel. Maybe you just want to sit right there, but I just encourage you, maybe you just open your hands like this, like you were going to receive a gift. And these are those words. Heavenly Father, I consent to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life today to form in me the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And take the area in your life that you are in need of help and you just put that in that prayer right there. You hold it in your hands and you say, Heavenly Father, I consent to the work of the Holy Spirit in this area. What is it for you? And it's not necessarily to be resolved or fixed. It's for you to be formed by it. To form in you. Give me ears to, to hear what's going on. Give me eyes to see what you're up to. To form in me the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Father, we come before you, and, and so many times we just think we need more of you, but you've given yourself to us. What is required now is for us to give more of ourselves to you. So, Lord, we have come as a community and we want to surrender our whole self to you. Lord, forgive us for compartmentalizing you in one area in which we call our spiritual life. We come now and we surrender everything about who we are to you. And we ask the Holy Spirit to shape and to fashion the likeness of our Savior today. We pray this in his name. Amen.